When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It goes down my legs a little bit. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. Week of preparation, of getting ready for the game. I don't know, I'm going to spend as much of the time as I can in the training room to get ready to play, and then we're going to go from there. You know, it's, it's a different injury than I had before. It's my shoulder this time. But, you know, that's where we're at with it. Yeah, I would love to get a win, and, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we can get that done. But uh, it is what it is, and uh, can't change the past, but you certainly have a great opportunity Monday night. Mackie and Judd with Rami, without Rami today, on Score North and the Score North app. And uh, the news today sounds like Dalvin Cook is not going to play, and that's, I think you and I both agree on that, that at this point you beat the Chargers, you won your, uh, you, you got a two-game gap between you and the Rams. Right now, according to various standings and projection websites, Judd Zolgad, the Vikings have a 97% chance to make the playoffs. A 97% chance. Yeah. So. And so uh, the report this morning was Schefter is saying that Dalvin Cook almost certainly won't play on Monday night against the Packers. And then Courtney Cronin doubled down and said she's being told by her sources that it's actually the next two games, ideally, that he won't play, which I think is a very smart move. That's the smart move. I wouldn't play him at all. I'd sit him, get him healthy for the playoffs because you know you're going to need Dalvin Cook in the playoffs. Yep. Yep. And so... We'll see what happens on Monday night if you uh, if you wind up having to run Mike Boone back out there in more of a full game workload. But here's where I want to start with you guys. All right, I went into my cave a couple hours ago because I had this thought. I think the Vikings are going to continue running the table. I think they're going to beat the Packers. I think they're going to beat the Bears, and I think they're going to go twelve and four. I've said that ever since they lost to Seattle. They're going to run the table. They're going to go twelve and four. And San Francisco has a couple tough games. They've got the Rams, they got the Seahawks, and the Seahawks obviously have the Niners. So uh, there's there's a story to be told here. But one of the likely outcomes is Vikings finish twelve and four and get the sixth seed in the NFC. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the very likely scenarios here. And I just want to tell you, if that happens, it'll be the unluckiest season in NFC history. Flat out, the unluckiest season in NFC history. Mm-hmm. I've gone back in the archives here. Now, mind you, the Vikings, just on the surface, if they go 12-4, and four, they're undefeated at home so far this season. Uh, they have a plus-119 point differential, which is second-best in the NFC behind only the Niners. Mm-hmm. And offensively, they're going to go over 400 points almost certainly this Monday against the Packers for 
uh, with a week to spare. That'll be the seventh time in franchise history that they go over 400 yards. So just without taking into context the rest of the league and the rest of the conference, this is one of the best seasons in Vikings history. It's not quite on the 98 level or the 09 level, but it's like, you know, it's like that second tier of, of all time Vikings regular seasons. It's, it's in that mix. The NFL expanded to a 16 playoff 30 years ago now. We've had six teams in the playoffs for 30 years in the NFL. And how often has a 12 and 4 team been the sixth seed? Mm-hmm. Never. It's never happened. We've never had a 12 and 4 team or better, by the way. So there's never been a 12 and 4, 13 and 3. 14 and 2 uh, team as the 6 seed. This would if they were the 6 seed, they would be the best 6 seed in the history of the NFL playoffs since they implemented the 6 team format. Okay? Let's start there. Like that is amazing. Yep. You go into a season you say, "All right, going to go 12 and 4. Let's let's have this conversation back in August. Going to go 12 and 4. Going to have the uh Sixth or seventh, or maybe even fifth most points in franchise history. Going to have the second best point differential in the NFC. Oh, I mean, that's a division winning team for sure, right? At the very least, you, you get one of those top two seeds in the NFC playoffs. Right. Nope, you're a six seed. Here's the other piece to it the NFL expanded to a 16 game schedule 42 years ago now, mm-hmm. 1978, when uh, young Judd Zolgab was watching was Minnesota North Stars games. Yeah. Nine-year-old Judd Zolgad. That's the first year I watched the Vikings play. Targeting his last year. Okay. So the 16-game seasons when you started watching football. Yep. 40 years ago. Yep. And how often does 12-4 and four get one of the top two seeds in the NFC playoffs? Two out of every three years. If you go 12-4, and four, you will get one of the top two seeds in the NFC playoffs. Two out of every three years. Including 13 times since 2000 when teams finish 12-4. and four, They get either the number one or the number two seed. And again, the Vikings are headed straight for potentially the sixth seed and a 12 and four record. This is one of the unluckiest seasons in the history of NFC and maybe even NFL football. Fight me on it. Oh, I definitely will. This is a, (laughs) this is a missed opportunity and the Vikings have no one to blame but themselves. And here's why. Because the context is the Vikings have 10 wins right now, correct? Yes. There are 10 wins right now. Of those 10 wins, Two of them have come against teams at 500, Philadelphia and Dallas right now. Eight have come against teams with losing records. All you had to do, or what you should have done, was beat Green Bay in Week 2, beat Kansas City, and I realize that's not simple, but keep in mind, it was history in the box score will show it was Matt Moore, not Patrick Mahomes Jr., starting at quarterback. And so, statistically, what you laid out, Phil, sounds good and is accurate completely, but I would say from the eye test and watching this year, too, it's partially, or heck, largely on you because I'll give you Green Bay, I'll give you Kansas City, I'll give you Seattle, and I'll tell you, you should have won at least one, if not two. And I realize if they want to, the record is off the charts fantastic right now. But it's plausible. Right, And but here's the thing. So they're unlucky, I don't disagree with what you're but saying. they didn't make their own luck either. But they did. Like, if you go, and again, they have to win their next two for this to really play out. Because if they, if they go 11-5 well, or 10-6. Let's assume they're going to, because I don't think it's far-fetched to say yeah, that. They're going to go 12-4. and four. Yeah. And there's a very good chance they're the sixth seed. And I guess my rebuttal to what you're saying is, of course, they probably should have won the Bears game. They probably should have won the I'm Chiefs game. I'm not even game. giving you that one. I'll give them the Bears game. I, I continue to say, that's just your clunker. You just played okay. bad that day. But Green Bay, week two, you had. 
you had a great chance. Agreed. Kansas but, City, you had a great chance. But those games happen. Like those those things happen. Sure, but beat one winning team is what I'm saying. Well, like this twelve the twelve wins you're gonna get there. If if you beat Green Bay, okay. Winning team there. Chicago's not. So get a couple wins against teams with winning records. And I don't disagree with that. And by the way, uh we're gonna talk to Sage Rosenfels in about twenty three minutes from now. Sage Rosenfels, Sage Football Wisdom, always brings uh, just great stuff on on Thursdays. Um, if you go through, though, the last 30 years, all these teams that that, that had 12-4 and four records and became the two seeds, like those teams were allowed to be imperfect, too, against winning teams. There's, and then there's, there's a lot of, if you go look at like the average sixth seed in the NFC or in the NFL in the last 30 years since they implemented the six-team format, it's a bunch of nine and sevens and ten and sixes that also didn't beat winning teams too. To me, to me, the real league-wide discussion that we're having right now, more importantly, should be about seeding. the The NFC East champion is going to be a joke. The fact that that team seeds higher than the Vikings is a complete joke. Although I would argue that Dallas is not a joke of a team. No, it's but just I'm saying a their path, coach. But but their path to their seed is a joke. That's an easy one to fix and say, you know what, we're not going, just because you won a division does not mean that we're going to give you a higher seed. Mm -hmm. So yes, Dallas is not a joke. I think their personnel is good, but their record compared to what the Vikings, and the Vikings beat them too, is going to be, is a joke. It would be, it would take us, we could right now sit here in one minute and change that. Like it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be like, well, who's going to know how to travel to where and how are you going to play that game? It's as simple as... 500, you don't get the higher seed. And I would say this. If you are 7-9, and nine, you don't go to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That, that'd be me personally. Mm-hmm. I'd say you don't deserve. Why on earth, if your entire division starts at 7-9, and nine, why are you going to playoffs? Yeah, and I, and I guess there I, think, I think the solution there is probably do you need four divisions? Because when you only have four teams in a division, you're going to have a year once Correct. every eight or nine years where it's just like four crappy teams. And that's a good point. And so when you had when you had the three divisions set up and you had five or was it sometimes even six teams? There might have been six teams in one or two of the divisions to get the, to... The Old Central was all of the teams currently in, in it and Tampa and Bay, Tampa. right? It was five for the Vikings division. But were there... Um, there might not have been 32 teams because the Texans there came weren't. along after. So there was only 28 or 29 or 30 teams. Correct. So you had, but when you have five teams in a division, it's much less likely that all of them are just crappy and below 500, right? So I just find it amazing. And we can sit here and we can sharpen the pencil and we can say, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. I mean, ultimately, we're looking at one of the, you got the four Super Bowl seasons, you got the two devastating NFC championship games, and then you've got like, the 2017 Vikings, probably one of those late 80s teams. This is one of the 10 greatest Vikings teams of all time. If they finish 12 and 4 and they keep playing off like that this. Way to you? If they finish it out, honestly, if they finish it out, I got to see. And Kirk Cousins has you know, the, a, a, a great game against the Packers, which is a big if. It's a Monday night game, it's a winning team. I get it. Um, it will definitely feel like one of the 10 best seasons in Vikings. I got to think about that more. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know if that I hits think, me. I think what you're doing is. You're looking at the fall of the defense, and the defense is not what it was two years ago, and you're holding that against them almost to a fault. Like, their offense has taken just as big of a step forward the last Well, no, I'm looking year. at the league, too, though. I'm so, I can't get as excited about success in, in a league that's got this this many bad teams. That's part of my problem. My other problem, probably, is this. My expectation. Coming out of 17... 
I think we all said, hold on a second here. You got a special chance, a really special chance. And so, yeah, if they make a playoff run, my feeling about this current team might change. But from the day they signed Cousins, that was, and you know what? They went all in. Good for them on that. But that also was, uh, we are all in here. And this is not to be division champion. This is not to win a playoff game. This is a all-in move to win a championship. And so I'm colored by that for sure. Sure. And uh, I should be. 651-646-8255. Those are uh, the phone lines here on Mackie and Joe with Rami and at Score North. And you can find Vikings Ventline right after all of the Vikings games of the season and also five days a week, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. the day after Vikings games, 11 a.m. on uh, the other days with Judd Zolgad and Danny Cunningham. And that's available via podcast on uh, the Score North app, Apple, or Spotify. So Aaron Rodgers is not statistically the same guy he was a few years ago. Still makes me a little nervous. If I'm the Vikings, I'm not looking at him and saying, oh, Write that guy off just because he's sailed some throws this season. I think there's still something to be scared of on a Monday night primetime game uh, with playoff positioning on the line. But where would you put Aaron Rodgers in your all-time quarterback pecking order? Like the career of Aaron Rodgers to this point. Where does does he fall in your all-time NFL quarterback pecking order? How much am I influenced by his prime years, which were... Some of the great years I saw. See, that's the question. That's I mean, my. That's, here's the. He's, at, at his peak, can I he tell you the, the weird ever. thing to me about his career arc right now? Ordinarily, it feels like when a guy drops off, he really drops off. You know, Brady in in September's for what the last two or three years. At times, we've thought, oh, he's going down, but then he comes right back up. Yeah, and, and he's Brady. Um, the my issue with Aaron's career arc right now is this guy was once. Phenomenal. Off the charts. And now he's not that. But I don't feel like he's near gone off the cliff. You know, ordinarily, don't don't just sort of feel like quarterback A used to be unbelievable. And now it's really sad he's playing now. You know, when Peyton could barely get the football around the field, it, yeah. it made me sad. I wanted him to retire, and he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he won a championship. But with Aaron, I watch him play, and I don't see this broken down shell of, the, oh, man, he's not good now. But there's definitely a decline. So I guess to to start to answer your question, I have problems interpreting how I feel about him because it doesn't feel like his decline is the normal decline I see from guys once great. Does that make sense? It does. I'm not watching him thinking, oh, is he toast? I also don't think he's... The current crop of receivers he's throwing to is not the best crop that it's, he has ever thrown to. That's correct. But... Absolutely. He's also made some careers, too. Brett Favre made some careers. He, I guess I find it interesting that the conversation has shifted from Aaron Rodgers gets a bunch of people paid. He gets Greg Jennings paid. He just, Jordy Nelson, right? The conversation has shifted to, what, what, what are those guys really without Aaron Rodgers? Look at Greg Jennings comes and plays with Christian Ponder, and, and look what happens. It, it's Aaron Rodgers who's making those guys careers. And now the conversation is... Boy, man, if Rodgers only had some better receivers, right? He's kind of we we don't have that conversation about the top quarterbacks in the NFL. It's right. those guys always find a way to elevate the guys around them to make them thousand yard. And receivers. when did Aaron go from from us saying he's not Favre, he doesn't take risks, and that's what makes him so great to us? I, I think, and we both say say this now. I think to us both saying he probably should take some risks. Yeah, 
That's the weird part. I think he's become obsessed with not throwing interceptions. In fact, Jonathan pulled the number yesterday. So Jameis Winston has 24 interceptions this year. And how far back would you have to go to, to get to 24 interceptions for Rodgers? You have to combine his last five seasons to get to 25 interceptions. And see, like, and I get, like, Leroy Butler was that's on the show yesterday insane. and said, hey, from, from a defensive standpoint, that's you guys are undervaluing not turning the ball over. And I agree. It's a little bit like in baseball. People have for so long undervalued on base percentage because it was just sort of hidden. Like, well, you're drawing walks. You should be swinging for the fences, right? You should be swinging for... But in baseball, the clock is the number of outs. And so if you can avoid making an out, you extend the game and you keep the chains moving. And in the NFL, you only get a limited number of possessions. And so if, like, Tampa Bay has won four games in a row, but, you know, the reason why Tampa Bay is 7-7 and instead of, like, Ten and six, or something, uh, or whatever. Ten and four is because they're giving away. Like they've given away twenty four possessions this season, and that's why they've also given up four hundred points. So, in some ways, we probably are. Like I make fun of him for just being so conservative and being obsessed with not throwing interceptions. But that is a really valuable thing to just not like. He's not going to give the Vikings two extra possessions on Monday night. Okay, he's just not. That's fair. Jameis Winston would give you five. That's fair. Philip Rivers gave you seven. But, well, yeah, he'll just drop the ball. He ran from that ball. Daniel Hunter got it. He ran from it. He dropped it like he a hot scared. potato. I know he was. He rolled it on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Take but, it. I don't want to get hit by you. But how many plays does Aaron not make, potentially, because of that? That's my question. So my question is not, yeah, you know what? I'm not suggesting he become Favre. I'm not suggesting he start to uh, try and throw out routes that are irresponsible. But if he if he just said okay you know what through the course of a season let's say let's pick a uh, number here let's say ten I got to take ten more chances and I'm not saying dumb chances I'm saying fifty fifty but I can get the ball there I'm that good how many potential yeah. big plays is he forfeiting by not doing that because he's got two picks this year right yeah, and he had and two, two last, last year, year. Yeah. okay that's that means you aren't making some throws. We know we've been saying he's concerned with not being Favre and not throwing interceptions. He's had two la- two this year, two last year, six the year before that, seven the year before that. He's had 82 interceptions throughout his entire career. I think Brett Favre had, what, like 200, maybe I mean, more? Brett led the league a few times yeah. in interceptions. If he if Aaron's throwing you know close to 10 every year, are we even saying that he's Brett Favre, or are we saying he's still one of the better quarterbacks? Well, let me take that and expand like, it out. How closely are we comparing those two if he's if he's getting close to 10 interceptions a year. Peyton Manning threw about 10 to 14 a year. So Peyton, let's let's look at Peyton Manning's second act of his career. Basically, if if Rodgers were to take a year off with neck surgery and come back at age 36 or whatever, is what Rodgers 35? That'd be super fun. I would welcome in As two years. I would welcome Aaron Rodgers with open arms here. It'd be super fun. Actually, so would I. And it might actually happen. Like, <laughs> it would be a very Vikings-like thing for it to happen. Uh, but I digress. So Peyton Manning played four years after the age of 36, including one of the most prolific passing seasons in the history of the league, where he threw for 5,477 yards and 55 touchdowns. He threw the most uh, attempts, completed the most, and averaged the most yards per game, had the best QBR at 80.9. It was was just a cyborg season for Peyton Manning, right? He threw 10 picks that year. He threw 10 picks. Yeah. Because when you're slinging it around like that and you're just hunting for touchdowns, right? And it's third and eight, and you're just you're 
you're throwing the ball over the middle. Now it helps to have Demarius Thomas in his prime and Emmanuel Sanders in his prime. And I think he even had Eric Decker as like a third receiver in one of those years too. Yeah, he made him. Which is nice. Yeah, he made Eric Decker. He got Eric Decker dollars. a huge contract. But there's got to be, I guess with Rodgers, there's got to be a middle ground between, like if you if you end the year with two interceptions, you're either from another planet physically no. and just like, you are so good, and the matrix is so slow for you yep. that you're able to just it's pick not. everyone apart. No, or yes. you're obsessed with not throwing interceptions, yes. and your slugging percentage stinks. You're afraid to strike out. You're bunting. You're playing 1975 watch, baseball. Watch him throw six touchdowns, by the way. And can I give you guys six title belt celebration? Can I give you guys the Favre stats? I just looked it up. They're hilarious, aren't they? Interceptions. <laughs> 336. <laughs> led the league. Rodgers has what? 82. <laughs> led, led, led 82. The league. Hold on. He led the league three times. 1993, 24. 2005, he's like, forget that. 29. <laughs> 2008, as a Jet, 22. He threw more than 20 picks in his in a single season, you guys. One, two, three, four, five, six times. So Aaron Rodgers could throw interceptions on his next 250 passes and still not catch Brett Favre's interception total. Did I make that throw? I thought I could. <laughs> uh, well, I'll get him next time. That's pretty amazing. Oh my gosh! But but that was still yes. he, he was still he was he was part of the new age of quarterback. Like the I, I view sort of the the new age of NFL passing offenses when when Peyton Manning came in the league in 1990. I had to feel like that's when and that. Manning comes in the league in 1998. The senior, the Vikings set the record for points, and then it gets broken the next year by the St. Louis Rams in 1999. And then offenses were just kind of off to the races for 20 years. But you also had Favre, Steve Young. In the five or six years before that, you had guys like Favre, Steve Young, John Elway in his prime, Dan Marino winding down his career. Mm-hmm. And so Favre, Favre kind of bridged the gap. He He came from the new school of quarterbacks of the 90s into the 2000s, but he had that old school. It's okay to throw twenty interceptions mindset. Oh yeah. That if you go back and look at stats from even the best quarterbacks in the seventies and the early eighties, all those guys threw twenty or twenty five interceptions. All of them. Oh, the the seventies and eighties are. It's great. hilarious. Like it was acceptable to throw. It's why the twenty touchdowns and thirty interceptions, and you were like a, a Pro Bowler. It's why the defensive interception stat or records never going to be broken. There's going to be no safety right. or cornerback that's ever going to break that record because quarterbacks are too careful with the ball these days. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I'll go look at interception totals, and sometimes I'll just scan through, like, the Vikings and say, well, the Vikings, man, like, like one guy's got two picks and three picks. Like, the Vikings don't intercept enough passes. Yeah, but that's no, the league, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Terry Bradshaw's first two years, first two years, okay, combined, 46 picks. <laughs> as a As a rookie, he played 13 games for the Steelers. He started eight, 24 picks. Terry Bradshaw threw Amazing. Terry Bradshaw threw more than twenty picks in a season. One, two, three, four, five, five times in his uh, career, which went from seven, which went for thirteen years. Yeah, actually, I didn't blink. You know who was kind of ahead of his time in terms of numbers relative to the era? Fran Tarkenton. So oh, yeah. Fran Tarkenton played in the sixties and seventies because he, scram- he scrambled and made plays. He'd run around. In fact, Fran Tarkenton only three times in his. Near twenty year career, only three times through twenty interceptions in an air. He even had a couple of years like like nineteen sixty nine. Okay, he was with the Giants at the time. Yep. But Fran Tarkenton had twenty three touchdowns, eight interceptions, which probably was uh, 
Pretty historic. Go back and watch old films, though, and see, like, Tark, it it drove him crazy. It drove his his coaches crazy at first because he scrambled. Go back and watch the old school guys, though. Straight drop back in the pocket, smoking a cigarette, looking for the receiver. (laughs) Did I just throw a pick? Give me another Marlboro. Set the sig down before you go up for the snap count. Guys like Namath. He just hands it to the center. Hold this for a second. I got to do something. Pat the ball. Len Dawson, just pat that football. (laughs) Oh, did I throw another pick? Ah, who cares? Exactly. Keep me out there, coach. Time to go drink. Amazing. So, okay, real quick, just back to the original question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Where does Aaron Rodgers rank? <laughs> you don't have to give me a full list, but like off the top of your head, where would you put Aaron Rodgers in your all-time quarterback pecking order? Mm, Bray, uh, Brady's my number one for sure, without a doubt. He's won, what, six Super Bowls? Uh, Brady won um, pers- personally, so this is just mine. I put Favre above Aaron just because I loved Favre. Wow. I put, How much are you counting, like, how good they were versus their credentials. Like Brady is both. Brady is both. Yeah. Like, but Marino Favre's was not amazing, my but doesn't have a Super Favre, Bowl. Favre's not my two, but but I would put him above Aaron, which is probably just a bias on my part. Um, I'd have to look at the stats, but off the top of my head, probably Montana and Young. But Aaron would probably be in my top eight for sure. I think a couple years ago, five years ago, I might have had Aaron Rodgers number one with the thought that. It's the most talented, amazing quarterback I've ever watched with my own two eyes, and he'll probably have like three or four rings by the That's time it's all said and done. We thought there'd be more championships to, to this, but the fact—I don't know—the fact that he only has one, yep, kind of throws me a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes me look at him a little bit differently than Brady and Favre had Montana. One too, to be fair, he did. Um, Elway got to five. Elway's like the LeBron James, where he, he dominated for a long time, got to lost more than he won. I would put guys I would for sure put above Rodgers. Brady Montana. It, it, it's Brady hard Montana when you start to sure, cross but... to the 80s, I think. That's where I get a little bit, because it was such a different game. I don't know if I, I probably put Elway above him, too. I mean, if I get that the numbers are more gaudy for Rodgers. Here's but my question. That's because of the era. How much do you hold it against current day guys, Phil, that the the rules now are so tilted towards them? Because we watched, you know, in the 80s and 90s, man, you could take free shots of quarterbacks. The game was tougher. Receivers were held way more. If Aaron played back then, his game would definitely have had to be different, I think. Yeah, I mean, he would have. I mean, think about how be. often that guy gets a 15-yard flag thrown at him. I mean, Vikings fans, you've watched enough games and and thrown a beer at a TV because Aaron Rodgers gets breathed on the wrong way and someone gets a 15-yard penalty in the... Well, that game against the Lions, was that earlier this year? Yes. Was that the, was that a Packers-Lions game where the Lions just got screwed twice yep. on 15-yard penalties? Yes. I mean, if Rodgers is getting smoked by Reggie White and some of those old-school pass Anthony rushers, Barr like Lawrence Taylor... 15, 20 years ago, the bar hit ignored completely. Like, it became this big bone of contention yeah. of... Was that a cheap hit on on him? If that is 1992, we don't even think about that. That is, man, Packer fans still bitch about that call. That is one of the most bang-bang calls. First of all, when your quarterback is rolling out to his right and he sees everything in front of him, including Anthony Barr, mm-hmm. he has permission to throw the ball. That was, that was on Aaron Rodgers for why that was such a close play. And you know why he didn't throw the ball quicker? Because he was afraid to throw the ball. Because he's a conservative. Didn't want to throw a pick. So he took a broken clavicle instead. Right. Not a good move. 
So uh, we'll come back. Let's keep the football conversation going here. This is where we uh, sit down and we put our learning caps on because Sage Rosenfels joins us on the other side for a little Sage football wisdom, his thoughts on Vikings Packers. And uh, later on, also speaking of Brett Favre, we have an amazing Brett Favre story we're going to play for you in about 30 minutes. And it's part of a new Minnesota Sports Rewind episode. So stick with us here. Mackie and Jeb with Rami. Powered in part by Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard. And I was uh, I was just counting my blessings for the safety features inside my brand new 2019 RAV4 the other day. When, I don't know, I had a human moment. I was driving downtown Minneapolis during rush hour on, on Washington Avenue. And a car in front of me slammed on the brakes. And I was, I was like kind of looking... I was kind of looking a little bit off to the left, and my car sensed the distance closing between me and the car in front of me before I did. It slammed on the brakes for me and sent up a little warning light on the dashboard and said, hey, idiot, pay closer attention. But it's amazing how safe you can feel in these brand-new Toyotas, and you can get great deals on some of these cars right now, including a 2020 RAV4. Uh, as part of Toyotathon, just stop in, open until 9 o'clock tonight on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Also, we're sitting in the TCL studios right now. TCL has a great opportunity. If you're a Timberwolves fan, I know it's been a tough, I don't know, three or four week stretch here, but coming up in about, years. it's well, 30 years. Yeah. Oh, eight year, nice little eight year run with KG, I guess. But TCL is offering a great chance to see a Timberwolves game on December 28th against the Cleveland Cavaliers from a TCL theater box. We're talking about a VIP experience unlike any other. Five-star cuisine, lounge area, oversized chairs. So even if they get smoked, just a great place to uh, to dive into some great food and to uh, to take in Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Go to 50, uh, sorry, go to scorenorth.com. That's the third time I've almost done that. Caught myself. Careful. Scorenorth, it'll redirect. Yeah. Scorenorth.com, keyword TCL. If you want a chance at those tickets, scorenorth.com, keyword TCL. TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand with over 5,000 streaming channels with that built-in Roku device. Mackie and Jeb with Rami with Sage Rosenfels next. Jonathan here with the Score North. Download to your holiday shopping online and save up to 70% with the Score North Holiday Online Auction Golf Packages, electric bikes, countertops, sea life passes, and more. To view and bid on items, visit scorenorth.com and enter keyword auction. Bidding ends today after we got this message from Zimmer on the update to Dalvin Cook's injury. Yeah, I have an update. He's, he's seemed to be doing good. Cool. Thanks for a detailed report there, Zimmer. Uh, the Vikings released their injury report today. Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison both did not practice today for the Vikings as we head into Vikings-Packers come Monday Night Football. Other listed people on the injury report, Xavier Rhodes, Linval Joseph, Shamar Stephan, and Jaron Curse, all all were full participants in practice today. That's been your score on download. Now back to Mackie and Jonathan Rami. Mackie and Judd with Rami, Score North and the Score North app. Uh, Rami has already started his like seven month long Christmas vacation, so he just he doesn't shower. He just eats chocolates and cookies. So he'll be back sometime later on in probably 2020 or 2021. But uh, this is Thursday, which means Sage Rosenfels joins us, former Vikings quarterback, longtime NFL journeyman quarterback. He's our journeyman quarterback correspondent for some Sage football wisdom, and uh, and I think. 
the the first question out of the gate here. We'll talk plenty of Vikings and uh, and Judd and I want to know about uh, color codes in audibles. But do you think Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers? Like what what semblance of the old Aaron Rodgers do the Vikings have to worry about this coming Monday night in the biggest game of the season, Sage? I still think he's ninety percent of what he was. You know, I've always said I think Aaron Rodgers is. Uh, sort of ceiling, you know, uh, um, is was probably as high as anyone who ever played the game. Like, I don't know when he was at his height if somebody played the game at a higher level than he did. Now, I don't think he will do it uh, as long as, you know, Drew Brees has done this for a long time now. I'm not sure if Rodgers will continue uh, his consistent play, but I still think he's very, very good. He's just not quite – it's almost like he's lost a little bit of a step, and he was such a playmaker before, and the wizardry for him to get out of – uh, the the you know the car accident that he was getting smashed between and, and the way he just I mean I I always thought to myself I was blown away when I would see other guys move around the pocket and feel comfortable to sort of move around and just sort of not be freaked out about getting sacked and 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 worse you know a sack fumble you know I mean you're you're moving around the pocket somebody's Happen, you know, is bound to be right behind you, right in front of you. On you know, who knows where to knock the ball out of your hands? And so, I was always blown away. When I'd see guys like Rogers who just felt so comfortable moving around that pocket. And when he was doing all that stuff and some of the throws that he made, I mean, he won a couple of games where they were down by you know a, 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 a five points, and he was on his own five yard line yeah. with twenty seconds left. I mean, like, how do you win that game? Nobody wins that game. And he won a couple of those uh, types of games. And throwing to guys like, who who caught that? You know, Janice, remember him? Yes. He lasted for, what, three years? Janice, so right. He's yeah. got guys now that can't catch, though. That, Al, Lazard, Al Lazard is an Iowa State guy. I actually sort of mentored him uh, when he was in college. And, and we would discuss our sort of things from football to, like, you know, what's going to happen with him after football. And, you know, he's this big-bodied guy, not very fast, but, you know, once he's got the sort of the motor running, he's pretty, you know, fast down the field, but he's not quick, sort of slow feet. Some people talked about even movement as a tight end. Uh, he's number 13 when, when you watch him, uh, and he's, you know, he's catching four or five balls a game and scoring some touchdowns here and there. And, uh, you know, he hasn't, he's been in the league for, a year, I think, a year and a half now, and, like, this is his final, uh, first real action. And sure enough, like, he's doing really good. Well, it's because Aaron Rodgers, some of the things he does and the way he sees defenses and the way he can he, – he's he's so he's pretty dang accurate. Um, and But sometimes I feel like he sort of tries to do a little too much, uh, and that that's to me what gets him in the most trouble. So do you, do you admire the fact that Aaron won't take risks, or do you watch plays at times and, and think a, a quarterback has to take risks? Because it seems like – Aaron obviously uh, came of age with the Packers watching Brett play, and Brett took a lot of risks, and a lot of times they worked, and sometimes they didn't, and it was disastrous. Do you see him at times and think a quarterback has to take some chances that a guy like Rodgers is not willing to take? Isn't that really interesting, though, by the way? Mm -hmm. When he comes in the league to be behind Brett and how his game in a lot of ways is the things that, that Brett did, I mean... Sports Center top ten stuff, and and Brett used to talk about that. Like it's hard to try to be Brett Favre every time I go out there, and I always thought that, you know, he sort of felt like he had to make those magical plays. Where I was again, and a lot of other guys were like, throw it away, don't you, know, Chad Pennington, don't take a chance, manage the game. 
uh, and I because I didn't want to be the guy who lost the game for us. But those guys, it takes a lot of guts to be that type of player. I always found it really fascinating, uh, and and also Tony Romo, who grew up watching Favre as a kid from from Wisconsin, he had that type of game too a little bit, uh, where they were comfortable moving around that pocket. And I always found it found it interesting that that Aaron was behind Brett, and, and I got to see that you know Brett do that for one year. And it blew my mind because I had not seen anything like that up to that point in my career. What is your? Where does Aaron fall? Where does Brett fall? You know, I'll throw this guy in because he just he's, keeps breaking records. Drew Brees. What is your quarterback all-time pecking order? Just off you the know, top that, of your that's head. interesting. I I believe it was on Twitter a couple days ago, maybe the day or it was either yesterday or Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday because it was it was after the Monday night game where, where Brees had that record and they. Um, they put up Chris Sims and I think Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk. I think I put up their two sort of top tens. Um, and Florio had Brady one, I think Montana two, um, maybe Elway or Marino in there. And Favre was like five or six maybe. Uh, and, uh, and, and Breeze was maybe, I think Breeze was like five or six, actually. Like he was, he was fairly high. And then I thought it was interesting was Sims had Aaron Rodgers as number one. And I don't know if, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could say that. I mean, Brady team, whatever the whole, he's got six freaking Super Bowls, six Super Bowls. Yeah, that's I mean, ridiculous. and all the appearances, that's just crazy. So, um, yeah, I, I can't put Aaron Rodgers in, but he had, he had Rodgers one and he had Breeze 10. Um, it's interesting when you look at the, the career of Drew Brees. Came out my year, 2001. First pick of the second round, uh, San Diego. Um, and, you know, he played with LaDainian Thompson. North Turner was his first offensive corner, but backed up Doug Flutie, his rookie. I was playing Washington. Our first game of the year was was at, my first game was at uh, uh, San Diego. I remember talking to Drew uh, before the game. And but to, to see his career go from there, getting hurt, uh, you know, being a sort of undersized guy goes to Purdue as you know not a football powerhouse and um, you know threw up crazy numbers in college and but everything nice you know too small and doesn't have a big arm and and but just one and then he goes to uh, San Diego and, and has a couple good seasons there and then has a bad season and they and he hurts his shoulder and they had drafted Philip Rivers because they thought Breeze wasn't the guy and then he goes into this dome in with Sean Payton. Uh, for how many years has it been now? Oh six, I think their first yeah. year was oh six. So been is this year fourteen? Is yeah. that how that those numbers would be? So fourteen yeah, years right. of those yeah. two together, and that and Brady and Belichick. I mean, is there? I mean, at that best, probably Roethlisberger, Tomlin, as far as coaches who, and, and quarterbacks have been together for a really long time. It just doesn't happen very often, and, and for him to again play in the dome, which definitely helps. Um, with the cold weather stuff, Atlanta's also a dome. Carolina sometimes uh, has bad weather, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but to, you know that that probably has helped him playing in the South. Uh, but to, to and and a lot of times defense uh, teams that didn't have great defenses, and it was always sort of like, okay, we're just going to get in the shootout with them, and they'd end up sometimes eight and eight, nine and seven, not not always in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, now it feels like to me at the end of his career, I think this is. I, this team is better than the team in 2009. Wow. I, I, that's what I think. I think they've got better players. Um, 
They cheat and who, stuff? Who are the receivers? I'd like to try to remember who the receivers were on on those teams. Uh, Marcus Colston. Colston. But, I mean, this Michael Thomas? I mean, He's better he's, than Colston. He, yes. He's way better than Colston. It wasn't, uh, I mean, Alvin Kamara, was it Reggie Bush was the... Reggie Bush was on that. Or was Mark Reggie Ingram Bush. on the team at that point? Bush was for sure. But but Kamara's better than Bush Reggie Bush. No, but Kamara, yeah, Kamara's better than Bush, right? Um, so, uh, I'm, I think the running back was number... Uh, was it 26? 23. I love how, I I love how guy, like, film guys just know the numbers. They just know the numbers. I can tell you, actually, no, it's not even that. I could tell you his, not just his number, but I could tell you his style of play and how I'd use but him. But you can't tell me his name. <laughs> I know his skill set. He's just an asset to you. He's just a, hey, Sage, an object. Sage, give me the um, among the guys that you played with during the course of your career, which was what, Washington, the Dolphins, the Vikings, the Texans, the Giants. Give me like the three guys that you saw play or or were in the locker room with and thought, these this is incredibly cool. Like Favre, I'm, I'm sure, is on that list and he was a pleasure to watch play but are there you know two or three more where you looked across the room and saw this guy and thought wow this is a really really cool guy to be playing with and watching that's an interesting question um my time in miami when junior Seau showed up because he was already a hall of famer i I think we got him in year 12 or something like that but i I would believe he had been all hall of famer before he even showed up so that was impressive to me. And then this the way he did practice and the way he worked and the way he looked. I mean, the dude had some – his arms were just ridiculous. So that was a guy – I mean, Ricky Williams watching him play and being around him, uh, a, a very unusual personality. But, you know, he uh, he weighed 255 the year I played with him. 255, and he had a run versus the Jets that went 75 yards to the house, and he just straight outran everybody at 255. I mean, just freaks of nature, that guy. Obviously playing with Adrian, playing with Favre. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eli, you know, Eli was... Um, never been a court, been in a system like that. You know, most of my career I was in some sort of West Coast system where you have some audibling, but it's not like you can just go to the whole menu. You know, I was in that Eli Manning, Peyton Manning world for a year where it's like, hey, the, this play is not good. I'm going to get to whatever I want to get to with any protection, with any pass pattern, with anything I want. And there's so much that goes into that process of trying to, one, think of what is the perfect play for what I'm seeing right here, but, two, like how do I get to it in a coded manner? And I'd never been around like that because it takes a lot of time to to build one of those offenses. But I think she just playing in New York for a year, just having that experience of really playing like sort of the center of the world, it almost seems like in a lot of ways, and and on that New York football giant, just old school team with these old owners and uh, and how they did business, and and uh, it, that was just super interesting. But um, definitely, you know, playing with Favre was was right up there because you know there's just so every game there's a few different stories that I can probably go back to and remember, and I'd love to go back and watch the film sometime of some of these games, maybe talk about some of the things that happened, but uh, you know, they. It, Favre and Eli were probably, to me, two of the most unique experiences, and and because they also had such a long careers, and to see them do all the things they did, uh, they also had you know very different and very unique personalities that were almost the opposite, but both had you know great careers and both won at least one Super Bowl. Sage, Eli's a tough one when it comes to where does where does he fit in the discussion of of this era of quarterbacks and Hall of Fame and. You, I think the conversation usually starts with, okay, well, how many rings, and you know, what what are the what are the counting numbers, and if you just look at rings two, and you look at 
just overall like passing yardage, and, and he, he's ahead of a lot of Hall of Famers on those lists. But then if you look at a snap, this is what I like to do with not just football, but this is my case for Johan Santana. Like I think he should be in the Hall of Fame as a pitcher because I think for a six- or seven-year stretch, he was the best pitcher in baseball. He doesn't have the counting numbers. Eli Manning, in his decade-and-a-half-long career, I think you can make a strong case that there were always like seven better quarterbacks at any given time. Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, even Ben Roethlisberger, and, and, and some maybe some non-Hall of Famers like Tony Romo, Philip Rivers, Matt Ryan, but how many of those guys have the longevity of numbers and the two Super Bowl rings? So, uh, how, do you guys wh- think? Do you guys think Romo is a Hall of Famer? I do not, and I love okay, Tony Romo. Okay. I agree. If with Romo, love won, Tony Romo. Yeah, you're Romo, the biggest fan there is of Romo. If Romo won one Super Bowl, yes, he's a Hall of Famer then. Yes, but I think that, and a lot of people would say, well, then shouldn't he be a Hall of Famer? And the answer is, like, Jack Morris, Jack Morris like is a Hall of Famer it, because he won really the World a... Series Game 7 in 91. It matters. But in a team sport, how much does that really matter? Because then it gets into, like, is not just winning a quarterback stat, but is winning Super Bowls a quarterback stat. But it's such an influential, I would say you have more influence over the outcome of a game as the quarterback of an NFL team than you do... As a, as a pitcher in a season or a series, uh, you know, because you, you're not out there every day. So I, we also agree on this, by the way, and and I say that with this, this with all due respect, but really, since since the Giants won that second Super Bowl in 2011, uh, you know, Jerry Reese at the so Jerry Reese became the GM the year they won the Super Bowl in 2007. Ernie Acorsi was the GM before that, and really had put that team together. Uh, from Strahan and and drafting Eli, but the, but but they you know they won that Super Bowl with his basically draft picks and free agents and whatever. Um, and a lot of people love Jerry Reese because it was his first year. Boom, he won the Super Bowl. Like, but if you win the Super Bowl in your first year as a GM, did you really have that much to do with it? It's not your you know team. I mean? It's really not your team. Right. I mean, fifteen percent of it is in a couple of you know. But and then they won it again in two thousand eleven, and then after that they did not. They and I've you know you, you, when you're on a team to sort of continue to follow it and like how to draft their draft picks have done terribly. Uh, they have drafted guys that were you know flamed out in a couple of years or they trade or they what just they've had so many misses and the team around him as we see um, is doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. I mean the offensive line's just been terrible. That group they had you want to talk about an impressive group of men. Where the five offensive linemen, you could really probably call them seven offensive linemen that basically played together from 2006 to 2011. Uh, the, that group of guys, uh, Sean O'Hara, Chris Snee, Richie Soybert, Kareem McKenzie, um, trying to think to the left, uh, David Deal. Uh, and then there's other guys named like Kevin Booth. Uh, no, Kevin yeah. Booth, by the way, is such a great football. It's just a but these are all. Football I saw Kevin Booth at the, uh, at, 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 the names. At, at the Vikings um, uh, Kansas City game. He works for the NFL. That's nothing. You work for you play for the Giants. You might get a job like working for the NFL or yeah. in the city because it's a thirty minute commute. Just cross the bridge, Sage. Yeah, just cross the bridge. Um, so so that but that group and there's a couple other guys in there. Uh, but they like it was pretty much just them for like six years. 
And then they all basically got old and retired right around the same time. You know, uh, Sean O'Hara uh, was not with that second Super Bowl. Richie Sorbert blew out his knee the year before that, and they brought another guy or two. Uh, but for the most part, he had this run, and that's when Eli was at his best. He was at his, he, in some ways, like Kirk Cousins, he's at his best when he had good defense. He's at his best when he has a running game. And Eli was really good on third downs because he could diagnose what the defense is doing, all these blitzes, and he was sort of ahead of, hey, I can protect that up and I can do this and I can do that and um, and they did a lot of play action too they were a play action ball club I mean they had some big strong running backs and Brandon Jacobs and and uh, that style fit his style but then once all that sort of ended all those guys left all those guys retired they really haven't had very many good football players uh, on offense or defense in particular offensive line which has been a ton of ton of misses and I think that also has a has had a negative effect on his play. Sage, am I crazy in saying, in saying this about the Vikings-Packers on Monday night? Green Bay, at least here, doesn't scare me. Now, if the game's there, I might feel different, but I don't ever, and, and I might be totally wrong here, and I might be jinxing the Vikings, but this is the first time in a long time that the Vikings are going to play the Packers in a game, and in that game, I don't feel a lot of, whoa, I think this is going to be incredibly tight and the Vikings could uh, lose this game. Or There's just something about this game that puts me at, at ease, which actually makes me uneasy because it seems so rare for a Vikings-Packers game. Question, do you really lose over sleep about what's going to happen in the upcoming game? Depends on sleeping that around that time. <laughs> like, Ooh, I don't know. I, I don't know. The backers are good. They might. I don't You're know. Romo. That's I don't Romo. Know. It's, I can't. I can't go to Jim. sleep. I don't know, Jim. What should yeah. I do? What should I do? Jim, what's going to happen? That's good, Sage. Judd doesn't sleep. He waits for Monday Night Football. Wait, no, that's no, right. that's not true. I wait for I wait for Red Zone on Sunday. Um, I just don't I, you know, do I, much for me. I don't shoot, know. I, I, I never feel comfortable going to the games. I mean, even these last few weeks that have been pretty dominant performances. I mean, you heard it me on here. I'm like, I don't know. San Diego, they can be good. Or like Detroit, man, look at all these games they lost by a field the goal. The Chargers like, game, I felt the same way as, as you j- just said, though. That's what's weird I, about this. I, I was much more trepidation-wise about the Chargers than I am about the that, that charges. So this game is when you get to the point. This is when you, when you have the, this when your emotional investment is like this, and it's what's way less for me it is now than it was when I was playing. But that's when games like the, the Chargers game or that Detroit game. It's really about relief when you win. Mm-hmm. There's really no happiness there. It's really like, oh, mm-hmm. good, we're good. That, glad that was an easy win. Glad that you know nobody got hurt too bad, or, or we just won the game and whatever. It seems to be almost like more about relief than actual like real happiness. Like I think if the Vikings go out to and this game for sure, but like if they would have won in Seattle, there would have been like real happiness about it. Not as much relief, but when you beat one of those lesser teams, it's like it's more about relief, which is like because you it's you know it's you can lose to anybody in this league, and there's some bad football teams out there, but you know they put it together on the right day, and the ball bounces the right way, and ball slips through your punt returner's hands, and you know next thing you know you you lose a football game that you can't lose, and somebody gets fired. I mean that's just. The way the NFL is, it's, it's, it is very stressful. And I try to separate myself from that and sort of go, well, you know, they should win this week, I think. But, you know, they could very easily I, lose. It's probably like 55-45. They just have to let, you know, let it play out. I would like to point out here, too, and I'm not trying to play my, my Vikings violin, but the, there's, there's a pretty good chance the Vikings continue this run and they win the next two games. And I, I even said before their last four games, before they played Detroit, I said, I, I think coming off the Seattle loss, I think they run the table and they go 12-4. and four. And the bad luck is how many seasons do you go 12 and 4 and not win your division 
and you wind up maybe even getting a sixth seed at twelve. And, I mean, it's very possible they could go twelve and four and finish with the sixth seed in the NFC. Yeah, and that, I find that to be amazing and amazingly unlucky. But but also, I think good in a way because we do know. I think the Vikings are right there. I think they're, and again, it's, it stinks to have to play away games, but I this team is a much better football team than last year's team. From players, I think, and, work, and the way they work together, and obviously the coaching, I think, is better. Um, I like the, I mean, again, you don't want to be a 60, but I love the fact that, you know, I think we can beat that. We can go to Seattle and win. Uh, if we win, if the Vikings win the first two games of the playoffs and they got to play Seattle in the championship game, we just barely lost to them. Right, but can they we win can there, can they win right? three road games is the question. Yeah, Because yeah, I agree, I, they, yeah. can, they can win any of the road games, but can they win That's three right, of the road right? games? So I'd rather that than like a 9-7 and seven team. I mean, how are, you know, let's just say it's the um, the Cowboys who make it in the playoffs. Like, how good do their fans feel about running the table? Not good at all because they're definitely not a part of the top, you know, I think, four football teams in the conference and the Vikings are right there but yeah they might have an unlucky year uh you know the 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 uh, Patriots went 11 and 5 and did not make the playoffs at all I had two 10 and 6 seasons and we didn't make the playoffs I felt mm-hmm. that was and and two 9 and 7 seasons uh and all those years didn't, didn't make the playoffs and so you know I sometimes you run into luck and other times, you know, teams go eight and eight and make it. Just sort of the way it works. And and I wish the NFL would change that rule. If if somebody had a better overall record, if it's a, if they're both yes. ten and six, yes. you play at the team that won their division. But if we're eleven and, and five and you're nine and seven, we should get the home game. I, I think the NFL should change that rule. I think if, if you have a team also win its division, Sage, and it's not at least eight and eight. They should have some type of seeding process that boots those teams out because it's ridiculous. So you know, the the Broncos coach had an interesting thought. I don't think I liked it because I don't like how baseball doesn't really do cross games as much. You sort of stay in um, yep. uh, American League, National League. But he was his thought process was you should just have two divisions of sixteen and everybody plays another team from your conference. I mean, there's there's no divisions anymore, just two conferences, and you just play other teams in your conference and. That's how the scene works, and that's and I I don't know if I like that because I do like the random weird matchups when two teams that normally don't play each other from different conferences, uh, you know, do do play each other. You know, Steelers versus, uh, you know, uh, versus the Packers would be you know would be a lot of fun, but that would never happen unless it was like the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, Sage, sixty seconds on the clock here. We want to wrap with we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna create a new segment here out of thin air. It's going to be called Red 98, and we Hold want on. you... Before we can get to this, yeah. can I just say something? I know, like, Rodgers is, in some ways, his numbers aren't as much. You know, this year he's not going to throw for 4,800 yards or something. But the guy's got 24 touchdowns and two interceptions. I mean, that's that's incredible. Got to take more chances, Sage. He's great at not throwing picks. He's great at not throwing picks. He's, he's been great at not throwing picks, right? Yeah. So I'm great at not he, throwing picks, too. But he, he, probably takes too, take too many, he probably takes too many sacks sometimes because yes. of that, he holds on the yeah. football too long, you know? So, anyway, 24 and 2. Uh, you're not going to find much better than that from at least a, at least a touchdown interception ratio. So when we here here's the new segment. It's called Red 98, and next week it might be called Blue 42. But when we, as football fans who've who've never actually uh, been immersed in the lingo, when we watch a game and we see quarterbacks shouting random color codes and numbers and and things at the line of scrimmage, we have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, 60 seconds on the clock. Give us one of your favorite audible uh, combinations that that you can explain to us. Okay. Um, 
Well, interesting you start with Red 98, by the way, because that actually was Favre's cadence. Almost always, it was always Red 98, Red 98 said that. He just sort of ran the second one, too, by the way. It was like, Red is that? And people just snap it pretty much on the second red. Uh, but that was his number. But Eli Manning, to me, had the most complex snap count at the line of scrimmage sort of system that I ever had been in. And you know, let's just say you're in a shotgun formation, your running backs to your left, you've got you know a tight end and receiver to the right and two receivers to left, you know, a third down type of play. Uh, let's just say they had a decided to have a run on and, and the run's not good. They got too many guys in the box. They're in some sort of man to man coverage or, or maybe you see maybe you see a blitz coming that would make that run really bad. Eli would then change the protection. He'd walk up and go, easy, easy, sort of tell the line, like, relax for a second. He's going to about the audible. Easy, easy. And then he'd go to, like, 80 key, 80 key. Now, 80 protection was a certain type of protection we had where the line was blocking the mic, the tight end was now going to stay in, and the running back was going to have the will linebacker yeah, uh, per se. But he might change and seize a strong safety blitz and go, you know what? I'm going to make the Sam the mic. He can make the Sam the mic, which now makes the tight end have the strong safety, which makes the running back now have the will, which makes you have to then look at the slot receiver to your left and give him a signal that if that guy comes, the next guy, you're going to throw hot to him. So you give him eyes. You'd like yeah. point your two fingers in your eyes. Football. So then you go 80 key, 80 key, then give six, some sort of hand signals out to the receivers on the outside. You don't usually say, what their route combinations are. Uh, but sometimes you could just say a word, and it's like a combination. Yeah. But usually you hand signal to the receivers. See, then you have to point out the, prote- the, the mic protection. And then, and this is where, where New York was different than any other team I had been on. Most teams went to the audible, at least back in the days, they used to just sort of go on one. That was the sort of like, okay, when, when we audible, we go on one. All right, so, um, but in, in that world, the the uh, the snap count was based off of the color of the audible. Wow, as in red, white, and blue. So if I said blue eighty key, blue eighty key, that meant blue. Red was one, white was two, blue was three. This is why I don't get as mad at like the right guard for jumping early. Like what, yes, you know? this is what I'm saying. So I mean, some teams get so three million to go with the keys, okay? <laughs> but 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 there's sometimes there's so much going on because it's like you know. Because he, he, he just changed the play. Now he's changed the protection. He's telling us where the mic is. We're still trying to organize. Okay, the the uh, you know where's that? What's the D line front? And how are we gonna we're, we're gonna make a call ourselves to work to that guy? And what's the technique sort of gonna be amongst the guards and centers and tackles and who's got who? They're sort of organizing. And then he goes up to red, white, or blue. Now you're you know, and he's trying to get them off sides. on if it's gonna be a hard count. So you know, blue eighty eight. Blue idiot, hot, 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 and you know most. Again, most teams are. are I just jumped offside. Sorry, I know. Right? Most teams are. <laughs> I just took a five-yard penalty. Judge, thinking always it's gonna, it. Most teams are thinking it's going to be a on one on on audibles a lot of times. So it's amazing how many times that he amazing. would get guys on that, and then knowing going into it, hold on to the football and try to throw the ball down the field like Rogers does. You know, better than anybody else. That's taking the game to a whole different oh, level. That that, you know, that's not like, oh, you can't be coached. I mean, you're, you're sort of coached that, but that's a thing that obviously he grew up with and his dad probably talked about his and stuff. Like, uh, my high school page was down, set, go. <laughs> down. Go deep. Set, go. Amazing. Go if it's on two goes. That, I mean, that, seriously, that, that was my- <laughs> That is sage football wisdom right there, baby. That's awesome. Sage, football. thank you for your insights. 
And uh, the next time we catch up will be after Christmas here. Uh, but uh, we'll see you. Uh, you'll be in town for the game, and you'll be uh, hanging out here early in the week at Score North next week. So. Uh, yeah, well, can't be. It's gonna be, we're going to have a little pregame show, it sounds like, with Kyler on Monday. And awesome. It should, should be a great game Monday night. Right on. Find Sage Rosenfels every Thursday on Mackie and Jeb with Rami at 4.30, and every Monday and Wednesday on Purple Daily with Kyler at 2 o'clock. See you, Sage. And, see when we, and when we come back here, you have to hear this Brett Favre story. I'll just leave it at that. You have to hear this Brett Favre story. But first, we're going to talk about Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Uh, I've been a business owner in the past, and it's really hard. It's hard to be a business owner. It's hard to pour your life and energy into a business and uh, and grind and sweat. But it's also awesome. It's also rewarding. Uh, it's also, uh, it, there can be a, a freeing feeling as a business owner. So if you're a business owner out there, you probably relate to what I'm talking about here. The last thing you want is for something to happen to your business that puts you on the defense. And that's where Federated comes in. Federated's been based in Owatonna, Minnesota since the early 1900s. Over a century of experience in standing behind business owners in many different industries. You can find a full list of those industries at federatedinsurance.com. Plus, they're proud supporters of U of M athletics and other local sports teams in town. It's a perfect fit. If you're a local Minnesota sports fan and you're a business owner, federatedinsurance.com is the place to go. And remember, Federated, it's their business to protect yours. Zolgad colon. That's how it starts. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. Watch this throw. Roll it to my left, backing up. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And, and and I'm making another throw the next second like came right out of heaven. I mean, it man. had to, I, it like had to drop in like a butterfly with sore feet. It had to drop in like that. Like what? <laughs> Mackie and Joe with Rami, score north, and the score north app. Like what? It's like, like, a, like Gruden, a what? Gruden had no idea. It's amazing. He was stumped. So we sat down. We're going to, we don't ordinarily. You know, play clips from other shows on our show, but Judd and I, this fits on our show today because Judd and I, two nights ago, we went to Tom Pelissero's, uh, we went to Casa de Pelissero, uh, and we uh, poured a couple beers, we sat down and we talked about the craziest season in Vikings history for Minnesota Sports Rewind, which we have, I believe, eight or nine episodes are out right now. You can find Minnesota Sports Rewind anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Score North app, you can binge all the episodes. And the 2010 Viking season was the subject a couple nights ago. And it's the longest episode we've done so far. And we even had to rush the end a little bit because it was like, holy crap, we've been going for an hour and 20 minutes and we're in November. We haven't even finished the season. Yeah, it was fantastic. But or not fantastic. We, we won. Yeah, well, some of it was. It was fun to recollect. It was. Uh, it also, it's the season that drove you out of beat writing officially. Uh, darn near killed me. That's true. <laughs> so we're going to play. A ten minute snippet, and it's and there's two things here that we're going to play. It's well, it's one it's one ten minute snippet, but there's sort of two parts to it. Part one is our conversation about the story behind Brett Favre coming back to the Vikings in 2010, and then Steve Hutchinson telling the story of him, Ryan Longwell, and Jared Allen getting on a plane and flying down to Hattiesburg. And pulling back the curtain on that whole trip down to get Brett Favre back to the Twin Cities. And it's a story. If you haven't heard this story before, and I'm guessing a lot of you probably haven't, this is amazing. 
Jonathan, I'll let you roll uh, roll tape here. This is from Minnesota Sports Rewind. Judd, myself, and Tom Pelissero. Anywhere you find podcasts. Let's start here, and then we'll explore all the landscape. Why did Brett Favre come back? You want to take this one? Well, you get you said you had Steve Hutchinson explain the story, and I I know Hutch's version, and I know the version of the people involved. In essence, so all right, here's what you have to understand. So, the first time when Favre joins the Vikings, two thousand nine. Never shows up in Mankato, right? They get back to Winter Park. We Everybody knew that's probably when it would happen. And sure enough, first day back, after training camp, they're back in Eden Prairie, Favre comes. So the second year, everybody kind of thinks this is what's going to happen. Like We all did the song and dance every day of talking to Tavares Jackson and Sage Rosenfels as if they're going to be the quarterback, when everybody including our buddy Sage, knew that was probably not going to happen. Like, I remember me and Judd, and there might have been one other person there, like, a week before the end of camp that year, two weeks before the end of camp, talking with Sage about, like, asking him about, you know, possibilities, where is he going to end up, and it was those conversations where Sage is just kind of playing along with the questions, you know, like, I'm just, you know, maximizing reps, and then as soon as I was like, all right, guys, shut through a quarter, it's like, so where am I getting traded? You know, like it's one of those like, all right, we all know what's going on here, right? So, uh, two weeks or so before Favre actually comes back, right? It was about a week in a camp. Yep. And the story breaks that Favre is not coming, which I think was you. And that was. That broke that. And at that time, so to be clear. First two, week of August it was. Right. But right? Two, 2009 was all. He did call Brad and say, I'm not coming back. But that was to avoid training camp. Right. And in 2009, it was all a charade. But point being, on the outside, we all looked at it as, but 2010, well, this is, this is going to play out the same way. But two, Well, that was the hubris of the Vikings to think that. In retrospect, now, having been told stories about that well after the fact, and in, to, in Brett's defense on this one, by 2010, he, he wanted to beat the Packers. And he did it twice. And so the 2010 thing was way more legit than we thought at that time, that he really wasn't going to come back. So he says he's not coming back. And that was after Brad had called him. So the way that I've understood the story was by the time they make this mission down to Hattiesburg, which is about the third week of August, right? And I don't know for certain whether Brad said this or everybody knew but basically, Brad told Hutch and Longwell, you guys need to go and get Favre. And the message, whether it was spoken or unspoken, was because he won't come back if I go. Now, what I've also heard was there was a point where Brad's like, I'm going, and they told him, no, right, we'll go. And they took Jared as an aside because yes. they knew that Brett liked him. <laughs> but I bring, I bring the fun guy with the mullet. I so remember. It always works. In, now... Since it's well past the fact, I remember one night when it was all sort of percolating because you always knew there was a chance Brett was going to come back. And I remember one night driving, I texted Longwell, who you know, and I said, "What's going on?" He said, "You can't tell anybody, but we are probably going down there." And he's like, "That's this is the only way." It's always good when you tell uh, a journalist. By the way, you can't tell anyone this huge well, story. And in 2010, I didn't. No, no. But he's like, "You can't. It can't come from me." And I'm like, "That's fine." But the fact was. This had become very convoluted, and by now, to, to what Tom's talking about, now there is a concern he ain't coming back. Right. And 
this was the last ditch. Yes. We got to do it. So they, they go into the house. And Favre was just kind of like, "What? Like, why are you guys here? Like, I'm not playing." What, and over you the you gotta do the voice if you're gonna do the Favre. I'm not gonna play. <laughs> I, I, probably probably uh, not. Why, why guys? Over the here? course of however many hours, they talk him into coming back. Like he was truly done. He did not want to play. Now, to Brett's credit, when he got there, like he he tried to flip the switch. I truly believe that. Seeing how he operated. Uh, the you know the attitude and everything like he thought you know perhaps wrongly but he really thought I've still got this. The problem was, I believe it was two days later that Sydney opts to have surgery, right? Which I don't think he was ever. I'm sure he was not told about. He did not. You know, Brett's Brett. He doesn't follow football. He didn't know. He was very loose on details. He's not watching Total Access every night. Yeah, he doesn't watch Pelissero's show. No, no, I'm serious. So so to what you're just saying, you're right. Uh, so he gets there, and he's like, okay, we can still do this. Where's 18? And 18's not there. So then, and now this goes to the wide receiver timeline, if we want to zip through this quickly. Hold on. Let's get to the wide receiver timeline in a second. After we I'm hear, really excited about this. After we hear, sat on this for weeks. Steve Hutchinson's version of this story. Were you guys? You were on the plane ride going down there to, to pull him back in 2010, right? I was. I was. Yeah. What, what, what was the, that? The stealth covert, the covert mission. <laughs> you you were doing specialty work in the practice shed, according to your uh, special teams coordinator Brian Murphy at the time, Hutch. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the one thing. I, I never did go back, and I mean, is there? Were there cameras there for that, or was it just kind of just audio on those those post uh, practice press conferences? I think there were cameras for that, if I'm I mean, not I mistaken. Gotta, I got to look back and see them at some point because they, it was just like apparently children didn't prep them at all. Correct on like what to say, so they were just literally grasping at straw. I mean, it was like <laughs> yeah, we were yes, you know, we were repaving 169 or something. I mean, it was like I mean they could have come up with something. <laughs> better than that but you know it's funny like we we went down there and spent the night and it was some big covert deal i mean you know i mean childress kind of called me in his office after practice and said hey what do you think uh you and i fly down and go get brett and i said i got a better idea how about you stay here and send like jared because jared makes him laugh and ryan longwell because he loves ryan they played they had such a pass together and then i'll go too and we'll three of us you go okay so we go down there and you know the, the the pilot had a you know flight plan going into New Orleans that we were going to change mid-flight so that anybody following Ziggy's tail number wouldn't see it flew to Hattiesburg and I mean it was this big thing and it worked I mean we got down there and when it started I guess about the time you guys were figuring out we weren't at practice uh, that's kind of when we were in the car ride back to the plane to get to to get into the plane to fly back to Minneapolis and by the time obviously. There was the helicopter and in the whole um, the charade there, but I mean it was it was it was pretty fun. I mean it was funny. I mean, we were laughing the whole time, like you know. I mean, <laughs> it was it was what we got him back. I mean, yeah, you did. But I bet we basically kidnapped. You basically, yeah, you put a put a ski mask over well, his and, head. And, and, and Steve, Steve, I didn't buy this at the time, but I have since been told that he really, really had reservations and or didn't w- want to come back. Is that correct? Oh yeah, for 2010. Yeah, he was. I think. I mean, I think he knew at that point. He. he I think he was. Ha- you know, he would have been fine saying no. I'm done. And then, 
you know, uh, uh, you know, and for whatever reason, you know, he, he maybe he just knew or or whatever. But you know, we we were, you know, at that point too. You know, Jared and and, and Ryan and I were like, because we get there and we kind of now, of course, his whole family knew we were coming. He was the only one who didn't know. So we get there at like. And it was like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. By the time we get to his house, and it was like this big surprise thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say he was like, "Oh, so great to see you guys." Fifteen minutes later, where's Brett? He went to bed. <laughs> he did, seriously, we're sitting there on the couch, and we're, we're, Deanna's like, "I think he went to bed," and we're like, "Oh, this is going to be tough." Like we thought we were going to walk in, and he was going to be like, "Oh yeah, let's go, let's go," you know, win one for the Gipper. And no, so the next day it was that like we were talking. And, we were like, we we started thinking. Well, if he doesn't come back, people are gonna re- people are gonna start finding out we were down here regardless. And then, what does it look like, you know, for the organization and, and the confidence we have in the other quarterback? I mean, it just it was just it was just gonna be a you know media circus that way. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, like you see, it was it was it was that's true. I mean, he did not want to come back at first, and then finally, and then when he did, he was in t- typical Brett fashion, just like you know. Uh, all right, let's go. Yeah. I mean, like, like you just talk the kid into like you know throwing rocks off a bridge or something. I mean, I mean nobody nobody could have predicted anything that happened that season too. Like, think about all of the things no. from Randy Moss, no. Coach Fire, Dome collapses, uh, TCF yeah. Bank Stadium, uh, a Sunday night game on Tuesday in Philly. Yeah, uh, a home game that was supposed to be a Sunday game turned into Monday night, a home game in Detroit against the Giants. I mean, you couldn't. That, I mean, I don't know if there was a circus season. I mean, every every, every team has their little secrets and, and, and what's done behind closed doors. But, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're going to find a, more of a circus that than that year for us. Hey, Hutch, it's a forgotten part, but that was the same year. And and ordinarily, this would have been a huge story. That's the same year that uh, that Percy had the migraines. He came back on the practice field in Eden Prairie. And threw up and collapsed, and they had to bring an ambulance yeah. to get him. And and that and that was a that was a small part with all the things that went on that year. That became a very small addendum to that season. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, and that, and then you you know you you mentioned Randy, and then Randy's like press conference after whatever whatever his last I can't remember if his last what his last game was with us, but New England. He, yeah, he just kind of ripped, you know the the you know. Childress and, and you know basically talked about how he wanted to be back on Patriots team. Like mm-hmm. it was like just the if it was if you could you could like just imagine it, it happened. So that was amazing, by the way, Steve Hutchinson. And that was a clip from Minnesota Sports Rewind. Judd, myself, Phil Mackey, and Tom Pelissero sat down a couple nights ago at Casa de Pelissero and flushed out the craziest season in Vikings history, the 2010 Vikings season. You can find Minnesota Sports Rewind, Apple, Spotify, Score North app for the whole episode. So many things in a crazy year, and ultimately for the team, a terrible year, that you forget, that you start to talk about again. And, you know, coming on the heels of 2009, which was so much fun, that was such a good team, that was such a great year. And to think, you know what, let's just roll it back and go back out there. Dude, I have the list because really I is remarkable. I read this off to you guys before the episode. Like this is the summary of events from that season. By the way, we talk. We're going to do this at some point. You guys did this on Ventline today, but we're going to do our own version of it. Uh, just the decade is coming to an end, and there's so many fun conversations to be had about the Vikings in this last decade and Minnesota sports in this last decade. But the thing that started the decade was the 2010 Viking season. I mean, that was that was the start of this decade. 
and this last decade. And here's the list of things that happened starting with the offseason going through. And I'm missing a bunch of stuff on here, but Brett Favre had to be pried out of his home in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Sidney Rice needed knee surgery and was trying to leverage a new contract. Well, hip surgery. Uh, it, his, yes, that's right. His hip had gone bad. Uh, but it was being framed as a knee problem initially, okay. right? And then it wound up being I his hip. I don't even remember what it was framed Pretty as. Pretty sure. Yes. Uh, Percy Harvin with migraine issues and his grandma passed away and disappeared. Yeah. Also, Percy Harvin befriending Randy Moss and throwing a weight, as you reported, at Brad Childress, all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vikings started 0-2 and then got desperate for a wide receiver, so they tried to uh, trade for Vincent Jackson. That was vetoed by the Chargers GM. And then they traded for Randy Moss, who came in and said, uh, hey, get your 84 jerseys out. This is going to be a wild ride. And we all thought, oh, wow. Except for you. We all thought, this is going to be amazing. They're going to come back. Victory tour. Revenge tour. And uh, he winds up with the Tanucci's incident. He spends 27 days in purple. He gets cut. Brad Childress gets fired. The Metrodome roof collapses. The Vikings play, like Steve Hutchinson said, a Sunday night game on a Tuesday. They wind up playing that Giants game in Detroit as a home game with all of the Vikings, like, Visuals and pyro and all of the and things, Ford right? Field, yes. Yep. Uh, then they wind up playing home games at TCF Bank Stadium. Leslie Frazier gets the full time job, and finally the season comes to an end. Yep. And they beat- T-Jack made a start at the end of that season too. The end of the T-Jack era was actually, I think, against Buffalo late in that season. And I, I always thought that um, Les got the job because the Tuesday game in in Philadelphia, which was supposed to be played on a Sunday night and was delayed because of an impending storm that dumped, I think, uh, six inches of snow at the airport in Philadelphia was so bad that uh, Les held that team together and did a really good job. And then they beat a good, if I recall correctly, Philly team. And Fred Pugich, who had succeeded Les as the D.C. when Les got promoted to the head coaching job, came up with his great game plan, which was really a bizarre let's have Winfield Blitz game plan. And so they're, I thought, oh man, this guy, this could be something yeah. here. And uh, yeah, the, the best part about the Philadelphia trip was before that storm that didn't hit, hit, the Vikings actually talked about going back home and coming back. Yeah. And we're all like, okay, I guess we'll just stay here. And they didn't do it, but they talked about before that storm hit, should we just fly home and they almost did it was i mean that whole year you will never find a crazier year i don't think in sports than that no i mean it's ridiculous and i know you and you and tom well i'll just leave it at this because we literally did an hour and a half on this and the stories that you and tom told from behind the scenes and all the reporting because that was kind of the peak of you and chip were a tandem at star tribune's access viking section and I mean, it's fair to say by then you had been a you had been a beat writer for a decade, and like things would happen, and you had sources, and people would tell you things, and so like you have all this inside information, and and then Tom has all these stories too, and so if you want the whole story, Minnesota Sports Rewind, you can binge about nine different episodes, but the latest one is called "Get Your Eighty Four Jerseys Out," and it's the story of the 2010 Minnesota Vikings. It's just uh, it it was a fun fun trip back. Good old Randy. Let's do a couple things when we come back here. Quarterback cesspool challenge. Yes. Uh, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. And let's go through some fun Vikings what-ifs of the past decade. Okay. Mackie and Jeb with Rami. Rami is uh, is out today and probably out until like the middle of 2020 based on his Christmas vacation schedule. But good for Rami for, for uh, getting into the Christmas spirit. 
Jonathan here with the Score North download. Do your holiday shopping online and save up to 70% with the Score North holiday online auction. Golf packages, electric bikes, countertops, sea life passes, and more. To view and bid on items, visit scorenorth.com and enter keyword auction. Bidding ends today. Zimmer talked to the media today. He was asked about Delvin Cook's injury and wanting an update on that. Here's what he said. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I have an update. He's he seems to be doing good. Okay. What about Alexander Madison? He didn't play last week. How's he doing? Yeah, he's doing better. Yeah, he's got a good chance. Awesome. You seem hmm. super insightful, Michael or Mike Zimmer. How about uh do you have anything on the Packers stopping the play action in week two? How are you gonna counteract that? Well, well part of it is those guys being oh, really, really wide. You know, so you have to be able to tack them back to the inside on some of this stuff. So if they're gonna get out there wide, we wanna be able to uh Take advantage of that as well. Oh, finally, some insight. Thank you, Zimmer. <laughs> That's been your yeah. score north download. I think Mr. haven't we Zimmer figured that out? I get that Mr. there's a there's a song and dance that has to take place, and you got to ask the coach about the injured players. But you know, Mike Tice was the last coach that would just openly, flat out tell you. Well, Rex Ryan, I and guess, even he too. tried to. Even Tice, he tried to song and dance it. So the, the reality is, the Dalvin Cook's not going to play on Monday night. He probably won't play in Week 17. My guess is Madison might not play here. I wouldn't be surprised if Boone plays. They just can't risk is, Cook. Is Madison how hurt is he? Is we he don't like know. out for the year? No, hurt, I don't or? think so. I probably sprained his ankle. Now the question is the dreaded high ankle sprain, which we don't know. But the Cook thing just isn't. It doesn't make sense to play him because he's not n- nearly the player. That he was uh, before he got hurt against Denver, right? Yeah. So it just doesn't. It's not. Again, it would be a difficult decision if he was playing well and he was hurt, and you thought to yourself, "Are we taking a chance here?" But Dalvin Cook's been a shell of himself for how long now? A month. Yeah, and so, you know, hard. how many teams have the luxury of well, of well, I was going to just say of a third string running back like Mike Boone, but also a scheme like, like no. Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski that allows yes. Mike Boone to thrive. But even you know, take scheme out of it for a second. Mike Boone, like people have watched, I don't know what other fan bases are like, but Vikings fans love preseason and love training camp. I think it's just because you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait, and it's usually some sort of you know terrible situation to end the regular season the year before or a devastating playoff loss, and it's like, all right, get back on the horse. Sure, you, you want that taste again. So I think for a lot of people listening, you've watched Mike Boone the last what two or three preseasons, and he looks legit. He looks, and now to see him prove it on the field. Uh, it's not that shocking that he's just able to step in and play the way that he did against the Chargers. You know, is he Dalvin Cook? No, but he's really good. And Gary's scheme. You're right about that, though. Kubiak scheme. The amount of running backs who we've thought for a brief tick in time, man, that guy's really good. Yeah. And then they're gone. Yep. So uh, credit to, good to for Gary the Vikings. Good for, for good for Kubes. All right. Down down to some important business. Yeah. Here. It's hard being a quarterback in the NFL. We couldn't complete a pass. We suck. Each week, Mackie, Judd, and Rami look for the worst of the worst quarterback performances. The interceptions. Intercepted! What is going on tonight? The strip sacks. And the ball's out again! And the Bills recovered again! The ineptitude. I mean, it's absolutely pitiful. It's the quarterback cesspool challenge on Score North. That's the fifth interception today. Yes. Rami has uh, has sent in his pick from Staycation Land, and here's how it works. We all pick different quarterbacks each week. We can only pick 
each quarterback once per season. And uh, last week, the results went something like this. Where we, we judge on a uh, QBR scale of 1 to 100. And so, obviously, if a quarterback has a higher number, that means that that quarterback performed well. We're looking for the garbage performances. We're trying to, we're trying to pinpoint the four interception games And last here. weekend was glorious. He actually were... did a really good job last weekend. Oh, and there were some awful plays. Yes, there was. In fact, one of us nailed the actual worst quarterback in the NFL last week. Uh, all of us, starting with Rami, who was the loser, picked below-average quarterbacks, below a 50 QBR. He picked Sam Darnold, and Sam Darnold was mostly garbage, a 48.5 QBR. <laughs> no, he wasn't. But he wasn't garbage enough, because <laughs> that was the best score of the week for uh, all of us. And that was Rami's, let me count here, fifth loss of the season. Uh, coming in, man, we had some garbage performances here. Uh, Judd actually came in second to last by pinpointing a 17.3 QBR, <laughs> which is so bad. And that's been... Duck? The duck? Duck Hodges. Ducky. Was terrible. What'd you do, Ducky? In fact, Judd, you you picked one of the lowest scores of the year of anyone. And you finished third place here. I know. I picked an even lower score than you. And I couldn't win with David Blau. A 16.4 QBR. Those are terrible performances. But not as terrible as the performance Jonathan Harrison correctly picked. Jonathan Harrison racking up his seventh victory in the quarterback cesspool challenge with this man. It's fair to say that his performance in the snow made him a lock to have one of the worst performances of the week. Lock operates out of the gun. They'll spread it. Lock forced to get rid of it, and it's intercepted. Tyron Matthew. Drew Lock's 12.2 QBR makes Jonathan this week's QB cesspool challenge winner. Can I I introduce a bit of controversy, late-season controversy here? I have a question here. Now, this does not impact the fact that you won. But why are the QBRs in the ESPN box score different from the ones that are on the spreadsheet? Because the ones on the spreadsheet are total QBR. I don't know what the difference is, but there's a difference. Because Ducky... There's my, raw QBR and total QBR. Yes. My guy Ducky in the spreadsheet, 17.3, but Ducky in the box, 10.6. Yes. Lock, 12.2. I'm getting them from the same spot every single week. It's okay. the total QBR so total, every wow. single week. So the box score doesn't register total QBR? I guess not. I no, guess that's, that, that's that's raw QBR, Judd. Raw QBR. Raw QBR. Yeah, it's not run through the QBR filter yet. The total QBR filter is like ten thousand lines of code. Is this what Jonathan's winning, Phil? Has Jonathan been cheating all season? Yes, Has, I certainly have been cheating. Football. He didn't expect us to cross reference. I mean, I've cheated Sports like three like times. In, I've cheated like three times and write that down. So <laughs> I got you guys to go to. <laughs> Allianz Field. Yeah, that was awful. <laughs> That's right. I'm just curious what happened. There. Okay. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. So we go in reverse order of last week's standings here, week 16, and uh, the standings are like this right now. Jonathan has retaken the lead with seven victories. Judd with six victories. Phil and Rami, we each have one. You know how much it took me to tie this thing up? How much work it took? You did go on a quite a bit of a run there. I feel like the wild. That was impressive. It's a good time. I pop back up and then I go back You can down. run the table these next two. Plus, we'll do some playoff rounds, too. Uh, Jonathan also has a total point system with first, second, third, and fourth place finishes and, and points for, for all of those. And uh, those standings are Jonathan with 46 points, Judd with 42, Phil with 32, and Rami in last place. With 30 points in the quarterback cesspool challenge. So, Rami, because he finished last place last week, he has 
emailed in or texted in his pick. And I got to be honest, I have no idea who this person even plays for. Will Greer? Give you, ah! I'll give you three ah! guesses. Will Greer? Three guesses. Go ahead. Didn't the Gophers have a guy named Will Greer one time? <laughs> Basketball? Oh, nope. That was Vincent Greer. Vincent Greer? Yeah, he could shoot? No, he couldn't, actually. <laughs> I thought he could. That was like the one thing he couldn't do. <laughs> he could shoot. That's what ended his pro career. All right. Um, okay, does uh, Will Greer, does he play for, who got injured last week? Did, did Jacoby Brissett get injured this last week? This is not an injury. This is a, no. this is a, a benching. benching. Substitution. Almost a substitution. It's something. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I don't know. Why don't you just tell him? Chargers? No. Other side of the country. It's got, the Panthers. I, the Panthers? Yeah. Panthers benched Carolina's one of the seven <laughs> Allens that are starting in the NFL. All righty. Well, good. Down to six. Right. well, Rami wins. <laughs> they, just want to, they want to look at Will Greer. Well, he's playing the Colts. Yeah, yeah, he's playing the Colts. Yeah. yeah, I got it all right here. Amazing. My all notes right. are meticulous. Judd, you're next. Oh, this is difficult. <laughs> this is difficult. Because I'm, I'm tempted to make a gutsy call here. I was tempted, too. I'm tempted, I'm tempted to make a gutsy call. Do it. Was it the same gutsy call that I had? Do it. I don't. I'm. I looked and I haven't picked this guy yet, and he's on a good team, and they're having a good season, and they're led by defense. Maybe not. Um, but I'm not going to do it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. By the way, just so you know, I'm going with because I haven't taken him yet, and I got to at some point. I don't care how many yards he throws for. I'm going with Miss Winston against Ooh. the Texans. Love it. Yeah, he has 24 interceptions this season. So. I know. Although that, they've won four in a row, they and they're have, seven and seven. I know they have. And they're gonna, they're gonna, they're. I think they're gonna score 500 points too. It's yeah. gonna be one of the oh, highest scoring teams in NFL yeah. history. All right, I'm gonna do it, gentlemen. Tom Brady is Whoa. my pick in the quarterback cesspool challenge this it. week. I almost picked the guy he's going against. Well, they're playing the Bills this week, right? Yeah, I almost picked it. Well, you could have done that Josh one. Allen. Tom Brady's, so again, this is a 1 to 100 scale. Tom Brady's last five games, 36, 39, 28, 37, and 32. I don't think he's going to be bad enough to win, but someone's got to pick Tom Brady. This Come on. like He's been so garbage the last couple months. And that brings us to Jonathan. Yeah, I'm going to go with the guy who's at the top of my four-person list here, David Blau. I haven't chosen him yet. He nearly won last week, and now he has to go to altitude to take on Vic Fangio's defense. I'm taking David Blau. Yeah, you never want to face a guy named Vic Fangio when you're no. struggling as a quarterback, right? All right, so there it is. Vic Fangio. You know what, though? Thank you very much. If you're a Vikings fan, because Vic had Kubiak, Elway's friend, with that team, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kubiak was going to be on his staff. All Vic had to say was, you know what, Gary, whatever you want to do is fine. You want Clint on our staff, that's fine. And it was Vic Fangio who said, oh, no, 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 we don't agree, Gary. Go somewhere else. (laughs) No, I'm serious. If Vic Fangio hadn't screwed that up, Kubiak would be on the Broncos' offensive staff, and the Vikings would be. And look, Stavansky's done a good job, but if you don't have Gary here and that system, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I uh, I agree. So, thank you very. Do you want Christmas the uh, the risky pick I almost chose? Yes, along Judd Zolgad's lines. So I thought I, it was Tom Brady. No, 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 no. This was even more risky. I think Aaron? Than Tom Brady. Aaron. Aaron. I did some research oh! on this. Oh, the last three games Should've he played it. at U.S. Bank Stadium. Go back to 2016. He threw 50 percent completion. Wow. Had a 57 QBR. 
2017, he didn't that's, register that's because average. he broke his arm. 57 will get yes. you beat in this game. But 2007, <laughs> or but 2018, he had a 30.6. Okay. And he doesn't really do well in Dude, USA we should Stadium. Do, for week 17, now I already picked one of them. We should do, we should almost do like, you can only pick quarterbacks that have played in a Super Bowl. Ooh. So like Drew Brees, oh, so like Canton, Tom Brady, Canton Aaron Rodgers, yes, Russell Wilson, Week Seventeen. What do you say, Canton or Cesspool? Both begin with a C. <laughs> <laughs> Pronounced differently. Um, okay, in sixty seconds, in sixty seconds here, we're going to go through some Vikings what ifs of the past decade. But let's talk about TCL for just a brief moment. TCL TVs have received rave reviews across. The global internet from top sites like CNET, where they won the Editor's Choice Award, uh, PC Magazine, USA Today's Review.com. Go online, just type in TCL TV reviews. You're going to find thousands of reviews uh, with four and a half stars or better from satisfied customers. And so if you're thinking about upgrading your TV situation or adding a new one, or maybe you're looking for that gift idea for the next week or so, maybe you've been putting off buying gifts, look no further than a TCL TV. The TCL 4K Roku TV with access to 5,000 plus streaming channels. It's America's fastest growing TV brand for a reason. Whether you're a sports fan or you're looking for just the best entertainment options, you're a cord cutter. Go to any major local retailer in the Twin Cities and see what TCL is all about. It's our official TV for watching sports here at Score North. Purple on Sundays, Wolves Wild Twins throughout the week. And uh, we love when people send in their pictures of their TCL TVs in their living rooms. Keep sending them in. Tweet them at Phil Mackey. And uh, we'll pass them along to our friends at TCL. So, Judd Zolgat. Yes, it's sir. It's the end of a decade here. It is. And it's been a wild up and down decade for the Vikings in which they've had a couple of the most terrible, embarrassing moments in franchise history one or two of the most devastating moments in franchise history and one of, if not the peak moment in franchise history with the Minneapolis Miracle. Um, you guys started this conversation on Vikings Vent Line today, but what are some of your biggest, best, or most fun what-ifs of the past 10 years for the Minnesota Vikings? There's some great ones. All right. In fact, I believe this one was thrown out off the top today by our guy Manny, and it's a great one, Okay. And if you couple it just a little bit more, it becomes decade-defining change. What if 2011 season, if I'm not mistaken, Vikings go 3-13, and all right? Mm -hmm. There is one definitive win that year. It's at the Metrodome against the Cardinals. But there is a game against Carolina that I believe Graham Gano missed a game-winning field goal that I think was a chip shot. Vikings win that game. And then, of course, there's the famous or infamous Christmas Eve Adrian Peterson tears his knee up game in which Christian Ponder is leading the Vikings to defeat in Washington, only to get hurt. Joe Webb, that who teams didn't know what to do with, came in, rallied the Vikings, and afterwards, good old Les Frazier was up on the podium almost crying about this Christmas miracle, how they had won. And we're all thinking, really? It's a miracle! You it's won? a miracle! Yeah. We're like, uh, no, Andrew Luck would be a miracle, actually. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Okay. What if you go 1-15? No question, first pick, you draft Luck. Now, what if you draft Luck, and I'm going to assume that you give him more infrastructure? He retired because he was beat to hell. But the Colts sort of screwed him, too, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you get an offensive line, so he doesn't get hurt constantly. He stays healthy. He was 
a generationally great quarterback, what if Andrew Luck for the last 10 years, for instance, is your quarterback? Does he quit at the same time? No, I'm saying no. He walked away, I think, because he got he got so beat up and was hurt so much. So but let's say you give him because the Vikings aren't a train wreck franchise. The Colts can be at times. They, so, they were for large chunks of, of his, yeah. So, but, let's, yeah. but let's say Andrew Luck is kept healthy as you possibly can be. Not saying he doesn't miss some time here and there. So you get Andrew Luck with the 2012 Vikings offensive line. Yeah, you, you say Christian Ponder, okay, see, uh, you're not that good. I'll bet you. In fact, what I if? love this. So Ben Roethlisberger, as a first, if I'm not mistaken, Ben Roethlisberger helped a, a Steelers team in his rookie year in 2004. It's kind of a training wheels rookie quarterback. They went 15 and one in his rookie year, right? Am I right on that? And he started like 13 of those games. And they played in Detroit in the Super Bowl, right? The next year they won the Super Bowl. That was okay. I think I'm pretty sure. It was I don't the, remember the exact specifics, but but, but you, you basically you put a competent and future Hall of Fame quarterback in a car that's ready to drive, and it was. 15 and 1 in Super Bowl, the same thing would have happened with the Vikings in 2012. That 2012 Vikings team had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. You had the best running back in the NFL at the peak of his powers. He came back and was healthy. The only thing in 2012 was your receivers were not very good. And so, could your passing game have really elevated even with Andrew Luck would have been a rookie with bad receivers? But let's say, but they would have gone deeper. But let's say he comes in in 2012 and is damn good, but it's not done yet. I'm saying the last ten years. Sure. I'm saying by now, if you kept, if you had kept him healthy, he's still playing right now. I think you win at least one championship. Do you win the championship? What was the year? Was it 2015 where Blair Walsh missed the 27 yarder? It was Teddy yes. Bridgewater's and that's the first type year, year, and that is the type of year that you do win the championship. Absolutely. So if you had Andrew Luck in his prime, yep. It, you know, three or four years into his career, and you had Mike Zimmer's great defense. <laughs> yeah, you're going down the path. And you had some weapons at those skill position spots. Yep. <sighs> Gener- I love that one. Generationally great quarterback in this town, and the Vikings have not had a semblance really of that consistently since Francis. I really like that one. Two more losses. That's all it would have taken. And those two defeats would have been easy to come by. Okay, let me let me throw another what if scenario by you. And I don't I don't have an I haven't uh, this just popped into my head. I don't have an answer for this. I just want to throw this out and see what your first reaction is. What if Brett Favre didn't come back in 2010? And and let me ask it for this reason. Brad Childress Brad Childress essentially expedited his undoing by Brett Favre coming back. Brett Favre did not like Brad Childress. There was a disconnect there. Uh, but having Brett Favre back on the team led to trading for Randy Moss. If Brett Favre doesn't come back, they don't, they do don't trade for Randy Moss. Correct. They probably just take their medicine uh, in like a six or a seven win season. They still would have been decent. They would have been competitive. I mean, they probably would have had a similar record to the one that they they train wrecked more than that roster would have. If that roster was, you know, if if you had, didn't have all these different circumstances, like Brett Favre coming back disinterested and Randy Moss ruining the locker room, Sage might have started for that team. What would have happened? What would have happened? Would Brad Childress have been around for a couple more years? They wouldn't have made Leslie Frazier the head coach. They wouldn't have drafted Christian Ponder probably in 2011. So would they could they would have been. Who knows? Maybe yeah. they would have drafted Ponder. So if Moss doesn't get traded for, and if Brett hadn't been here, he almost certainly wouldn't have been. Brad at least gets all of 2010. He got fired because he released Moss without telling the Wilfs, right? So if he doesn't do that, and let's say he can't because Moss doesn't wind up here, 
The question is, does he get fired after 2010? And 2010, if it's still that wacky, and Brad sort of, Brad went back and started, you know, it got contentious. I don't know that, that it's incredibly different, but you don't have as many train wreck scenarios from that year. Here's one for you. I love this. Is that great, Cunningham brought up, and it's a great one. I love this, and it's a great one. And give it, give it some thought, because at first you might be like, "Ah, oh, that wouldn't have happened." But the more I thought about this, I think it does happen. The Vikings since the since the run in 2009 have one playoff win, right? 2012, they lost the wild card game in Green yes. Bay. Yes. They've got the miracle. Okay. Yep. All right. Cunningham's was. What if the Vikings? What if the safety for the Saints doesn't whiff on Diggs, which he totally did? Mm-hmm. So now the Saints have come back from 17 nothing down at halftime and won that game. Diggs gets tackled, okay? Clock runs out. Then the Vikings say, Keenum's not our guy. They sign Cousins. 2018, they go 8-7-1. and one. Now, that was an incredible bust. Wow. What if that happens? Does Zimmer... Do uh, Mike and Rick get fired? Which, keep in mind, they very well might have been because the Cousins thing at that point is a fiasco. And what happens then? That's interesting. I think... Because I think they might have gotten fired. You built up at least a year of goodwill with the Minneapolis Miracle, right? Nobody gets fired after that game. I think it would have been more likely that Rick Spielman gets fired than Mike Zimmer. Not to say that that would have been just or that that would have been the right decision, but... I still think coming off of the number one defense in the NFL and last year you still had a really good defense, but I think, yeah, I think not winning a playoff game for that long, if that, if that that's streak well, that's would a continue, stretch. somebody's head might have rolled. You don't think the 13 and three season being that good of a season without the miracle would have saved Spielman's job? No, I'm after, saying after the next season, I'm saying eight, seven yeah. and one. No, I think it might not have. And, and keep in the mind, too. The miracle buys you a lot of goodwill. And keep in mind, too, if the miracle, if the safety doesn't whiff on digs, you have blown at home a halftime 17-point lead. You were controlling that football game. Yeah. And you collapsed. And there, but for the grace of God, that safety attempted to do I don't know what. I don't I don't have the records off the top of my head for that season. But say it's not a 13-3 and season. It's like, what, a 10-6 and season? And you still get the miracle. Does... Does the same result happen? Do you still get the goodwill, or how much does the thirteen and three season play the into and, how good you felt about that season? The thirteen and three with the best defense in the NFL. I mean, that was like that's a fortress right there to build on, right? I mean, how many? If you're talking about coaching resumes short of Super Bowl championships, if you can say we went thirteen and three and had the best defense in the NFL, yeah. I mean, from a coaching standpoint, that's a flag in the ground. But these are great. We should let's 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 keep doing these throughout. The rest of the uh, the decade here, which is just another week or two, because uh, there's a lot of fun stuff here. Also, we have to get to this. So uh, no wrapping with Roycey today, but we're going to wrap with him tomorrow. The all-decade Minnesota uh, sports athlete. This is a tough one. So, you know, Puckett of the 80s or you know, there's who's the who's the decade, uh, the athlete of the decade here in Minnesota the last 10 years. Think on that for tomorrow. All right. We'll dive into that. Mackie and Jeb with Rami. Podcastable. Score North app, Apple, or Spotify. Write that down tomorrow.